Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, Tom Fernelli. We're getting getting some dental work done. Hope you feel better, Danny Cannell. You know, got some, got some family stuff. Got got a quail hunt. Hope hope you get a lot of them. Quail's delicious. Best of luck to you, uh, Bud. How are you doing here as we uh, as we wind down the week? We've got a big old bag of mail to tackle. Questions uh, that touch on Texas, Miami, uh, some of the financials. But uh, you know, as we as we sit here, got a little bit of movement on the transfer portal. Feel, feeling like it was a, a good week in college football. I do, man. A lot of content to get to. I feel like we had we had a fun week in college football. We had a major coaching hire that I f- that we sort of discussed on every single show, <laughs> yeah. which was fun. And uh, thanks to Tennessee for for getting us through that week. Previewed early signing period, or excuse me, uh, national signing day, and I'm I'm ready, man. This could be fun. I didn't. Uh... I didn't have uh, any large scale takes for schedule releases. We got SEC on thir- on Wednesday, uh, the ACC on Thursday morning. Uh, I think that people forget that all of the home and away splits for these leagues are set like even out till 2035. I know in the uh, in the ACC, the non-conference schedules are for the most part set. Uh, I didn't have the any any large scale um, opinions either way. Did anything stand out to you from either the SEC or the ACC? To be honest, I really didn't even get a chance to look at at them yet. They're gonna they're gonna be there tomorrow and the next day for me, uh, and I will be I, I will have some some really good takes on this once I get done listening to all of the podcasts on the twenty four seven Sports Network who are going to be putting out their their emergency or uh, you know instant reaction. Oh, go, pick so, every game. That's it's if you are if you're dialed into your team, that is the activity that you do once that schedule comes out. It's like, okay, we've got the helmet schedule. Now let's go through and let's look at every single one of these games and let's try and figure out what the record's going to be. Really nice uh, a- a- ACC opening matchups though. I mean, Clemson, Georgia to open the year. I think Louisville, Ole Miss is interesting. O- o- Ole Miss does bring back quite a lot. Uh, Miami, Bama to open the year. Uh, Florida State, Notre Dame. Pitt, Tennessee, could, week two. Pitt, this Tennessee, could be a week narrative two. shaping opening month for the ACC. Uh, like no, no, Trevor Lawrence get totally blasted in a couple of these opening games. Um, I mean, if I said combined margin of victory for Notre Dame and Bama over Florida State and Miami of thirty-five, you going over or under? Under. But that's just because I think uh, I think Notre Dame to start the year probably even if they're really solid, it, and I'm using previous Notre Dame like this year and then maybe the season before, just doesn't feel like that's a team that can come out and blow the doors off. You know, like just the way they go about their business. But that's, that's fair. That that's only 
that is the only piece that's having me take the under on 35 because I think that Alabama wins by about 24. Um, and I think that Notre Dame wins handily, but whether they win handily by 13 or so, uh, oh shoot, I guess that would be 37. Well, I guess maybe over good number right there. I don't know. What would you do? Well, I mean, I set the number, so yeah. that's, that's probably about what I think, right? Like, like if, if you set a number and then immediately go over or under your number, you you set a bad number. That's true. Fair right? enough. Um, week two, yeah. NC State, Mississippi State, not bad there. Pitt, Tennessee, get a chance to see the Josh Heupel show, get a chance to see Pitt, and, and uh, Illinois, Virginia, I, I can't wait for that one. Uh, also, a little bit further down the line, there's, a, there's BYU, UVA, as Bronco takes on the old squad there. I don't know how long ago that was set, but that might have been an early arrival. Uh, go ahead and line it up uh, where Broncos thrown BYU a bone, giving them a, a solid Power Five game for the schedule. That's that's pretty solid. There, are, are, the ACC is one of these weird leagues that does play these non-conference games even in the middle of the schedule sometimes, and it, it makes uh, it makes for some interesting predictions when, when you're going down the line looking at stuff. You're like, oh damn, that's that's not a conference game. The, uh, yeah, without a doubt. Another bit of news, uh, a ten, new 10-year deal for Northwestern coach Pat Fitzgerald, who, uh, and this is just one of those things that, you know, you kind of, I overlook sometimes. Pat Fitzgerald is the sixth most tenured coach at his current position in all of college football. Now, you know, a lot of coaches move around. Some of the more experienced coaches than Pat Fitzgerald uh, certainly have taken multiple jobs, but... Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern gets this new 10-year deal. It comes after rumors and reports of some NFL interest. Do you think that Pat Fitzgerald, former Northwestern linebacker, just like bleeding purple through and through, do you think that he does end up finishing his career at Northwestern, or do you think that eventually he like goes to get maybe the Chicago Bears job or one of those very few that he might hold in high esteem? I, I just can't see an NFL team hiring Pat Fitzgerald because they, they – they already play defense so well in the NFL, and that's what he does. That they're they're looking, the the opportunity for innovation is so much more on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to the NFL. They're really not looking for these college defensive guys. I, I think he'll finish his career with the Wildcats. Good point. Yeah, what you what you say about defense? It's just all about uh, height, weight, and hustle. And speed. And speed. Yeah, and look, there there's scheme on defense. We we, we know there is. There there's. There's humility on defense. I mean, you look at what Arkansas did. Arkansas didn't have much defensive talent, but they just basically said, hey, you're not going to hit big plays on us. We're going to make you go on sustained drives. If you if you convert in the red zone, okay, good job. If you don't, we're going to have a chance to, to be to be in the game. Um, there, there's you know, kind of matching your scheme to, to your talent, and, and there's definitely a lot of scheme, and I think we'll see some defensive innovation as well. But we do know that uh, recruiting rankings, which for the most part measure – you know, skill, athleticism, and and growth potential; those track much better with, with defense than they do with offense. Offense, you can scheme your way to success to a much greater extent than you can with defense. It's it's, I mean, it's why some of these air raid teams that don't put any receivers in the NFL and don't put any quarterbacks in the NFL or linemen, why, why they still score points? You, you can scheme your you can scheme your way to points. So no one in the NFL, as we are, you know, getting infatuated with all the the latest offensive minds and, and trying to follow the latest offensive trends, that no one, if they're being smart about it, is looking to college football for a defensive coach for scheme reasons. Now, if you like him for culture, be, culture building, leadership, if you can talk yourself into them being someone who can 
translate those skills from communicating with uh, 18 to 22 year olds to, to grown men or getting big paychecks, then, you know, obviously that's been discovered through the interview process or through your own research, but no one's, no one's looking at uh, someone who's saying that their X's and O's or their blitz packages are anything that are going to be worth taking a swing at for a head coach. Right. Yeah, that's, that's my feeling on it. Yeah, I hear you. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the big old bag of mail. A reminder that ways you can get to us for the mailbag is you can go give us a five-star review. And then in that review, include your mailbag question. We've loved the ones that we've gotten recently. Off-seasons are where mailbags really get a chance to breathe. We get to have some of these fun discussions that might extend beyond locks and uh, instant reactions to the, the action that we have on the field. We begin with a question from, uh, they went all gibberish, so I'm just going to say LK. LK says, now that Sark has finished his coaching search, how would you grade his hires, and how well do you think they will do with all the talent they have on that team? Love the pod. For listeners who, uh, I'll run through it real quick, for listeners who might not have it at the, the top of their mind, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously our head coach, Kyle Flood, offensive coordinator and offensive line, came from Alabama. Jeff Banks, also from Alabama. He holds the title of special teams, tight ends, and assistant head coach. Andre Coleman, wide receiver. Bo Davis, defensive line. Uh, Blake Gideon, safeties. We mentioned Pete Kwiatkowski. He is the defensive coordinator. Also got uh, Terry Joseph, Stan Drayton, uh, and AG, AJ Milwee. I'm not familiar with him. Uh, so, Thoughts on uh, Sark's hires and the staff that he's put together? Obviously, the a little bit of the the rating of Tuscaloosa was one of the big offseason headlines. Bo Davis, that's a familiar name for me, uh, and then Blake Gideon as well. Uh, do you think Do you think he's got a staff that is primed for success? I I do. Uh, I, I first of all, I, I think the guys he took from Alabama are are some of the ones that you would want to have off that staff. And Kyle Flood has been a head coach before, not not a good one, but he's been a damn good offensive line coach. Granted, Alabama had a ton of talent. I, I think every single guy on the Bama offensive line will get drafted, but that, that's that's a good hire for them. They need somebody who, who can develop highly rated offensive linemen. Texas does sign some highly rated offensive linemen. They just oftentimes in recent memory have not developed them well. Uh, I, I I like Pete Kwiatkowski. I, I think he, he's actually a really good hire. I think he did a nice job at Washington. I, I think Jeff Banks is a really good hire. I think we mentioned this on a prior show, but he's a damn good recruiter. In uh, Texas, they're need that there. Yeah, right. Like exactly. he, was, he was at Texas A and M for a long time. He's got that experience there. I I find him fascinating because it, it's only when I start doing my little research, I'm like, so you're telling me a former Washington State punter is one of the best recruiters in the state of Texas? And the answer is yes. You know, he he, he took Blake, Blake Gideon, obviously, uh, who from Ole Miss, who was you know, he, he played for Texas. I'm sure this is somebody that Sark has gone up against in recruiting. You know, being that he's at Old Miss, so he probably knows a little about him. I, I guess some questions I would have. Uh, first of all, how are these guys going to work together? That's always a question with, with the new staff, but that's not really Texas specific. Uh, some of these labels that you get on these dudes, it makes me wonder: uh, there, could there be a, a too many cooks in the kitchen problem? I, mm. I'm just trying to nitpick this some since I said so many nice things about it on the front end. But Terry Joseph is the defensive passing game coordinator, and then. Kwiatkowski is the defensive coordinator. And then they have a defensive run game coordinator. Like what? While Gideon is also safeties. Who's calling the, who's actually calling the defense and deciding what they're going to run. Right. Like now if, if all these titles 
we do see this at some state schools. If all these titles exist, because if you have a different title, state guidelines allow you to pay them more money, right? That's why you have executive head coach and deputy head coach and an assistant deputy executive head coach and all, all these things. Then fine. But if, if I'm, if not, if this is a real thing that Sarkeesian's trying to do, uh, then I'd be interested in how he implements it and how it works. How often have you seen, especially as uh, like defenses are trying to defend against up tempo, no huddle, they're trying to, you know, the communication can be very different. I know that there have been instances before where you're going to get different calls that are coming in, right? It, is that where you would be concerned that your whoever's calling in the the coverage? it's not going to match up with uh, whoever's calling in what's happening up front and just sort of those different pieces and the communication of it, especially in an up-tempo situation that those could just, I mean, they almost always lead to breakdowns. So we do see some teams do this. Uh, TCU actually, now I don't think they have different guys calling it, but they, they do not always match their front to their coverage from what I understand. Like they kind of play independent, of one another, which has some pluses and minuses that are, are not probably what we want to discuss in, in an audio format. I, I think you would need some video elements to break that down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that'd be one of my concerns if, if that's actually how they're going to do this. If, if, if not, and my guess here, and I haven't seen an explanation, if, if Sark has explained this, that, that I missed it, which is possible. Uh, but my guess here is that they will have different responsibilities during the week in game prep, mm. right? Like your defensive passing guy is going to be the, the guy who breaks down all, all the passing concepts. And your defensive run guy is the dude who will break, break down all the defensive run concepts. And they'll, they'll both go to you know Kwiatkowski and he'll be like, okay, this is great. And he'll call the defense. Um, maybe if you have an adjustment to make, you go to one or the other. That, that, that seems probably more reasonable. I just, I'm interested to see what happens. Next question coming from Arnag. Arnag says, welcome, bud. Bud's the perfect fit to replace Barton. Uh, question is best. Oh, they say best non-team specific pod on the market, hands down. Clearly, uh, our our man Arnag is a uh, is obviously listened to at least one of the team pods from the twenty four seven Sports Network. You know, if we're a not the best non-team specific pod, he says what twenty twenty Power Five Year One coach. I assume this means twenty twenty one. Uh, what 2020 power five year one coach do you think doesn't make it out of his first contract? Ooh, okay. So 2021, um, can we get a list? Do we, do we have a list of new coaches? Yes. We'd be talking about, um, for the sec, obviously you'd be talking about Clark Lee. Ooh. Would you be talking about Shane Beamer? Would you be talking about Josh Heupel? Uh, for the Big Ten, you'd be talking about Brett Bielema. For the Big 12, you'd be talking about Steve Sarkeesian. And for the Pac-12, I don't think we had any head coaching changes. Uh, didn't someone get fired? Someone got... Oh, Jed Fish. Okay. So, I, um, I'm going to pick Tennessee. Even though yesterday I said good things about him, which I, I believe, but I just think that he's the one guy who could do a good job and still get fired because a good job relative to the circumstances, if they are bad enough, which again, I don't know how bad they're going to be. I do know that Tennessee brought in a high powered law firm to investigate itself and found so much 
that it fired 10 people and believed it had so much evidence of wrongdoing that it could fire its head coach for cause and not pay him almost 13 million bucks. So you tell me how bad you think it's going to be. Because if you have that much evidence to, to do all that, you probably got some evidence you know, that, that would be uh, worthy of some pretty serious penalties. Maybe you have people intimidating compliance, right? Or, 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 or trying, to, you know, trying to silence them. Um, who knows? I think we, also, we already said we don't think the McDonald's bag thing was, was real or at least not, not widespread. Right. Um, but I, like, if he does a good job there and they get hit with, with penalties – I just don't think the booster culture is going to be excited about him when they come out the other side of penalties because doing a good job with those kind of penalties in the SEC is probably going like four and eight, three and nine. You know what I mean? So that, like this is that that's why I'm going to pick Heupel, not because I think he'll fail. I just yeah. So I'm going to stay in the SEC East, and I'm going to point to. No, I'm not going to do it. No, it's Shane. Oh, you're not going to do it to yeah, Barton? Yeah, I'm not going to do it to Barton. <laughs> uh, I, so it's because of aesthetics. Uh, because you mentioned that with Josh Hype, like when you were you know praising the Josh Hype hire and you were discussing some of the things that you need to do for the, the fan base and to be able to make things interesting and exciting, I, I think that uh, you have an opportunity to maybe – catch a, a wild seven and five where you're far exceeding expectations. Maybe you catch a little bit of an extension. You know, you go, uh, you, you basically finish third in the sec East when you were picked to finish sixth or seventh. And then all of a sudden uh, you're going to be in a spot where uh, you have enough fan support and enough positive momentum behind you to be able to, to catch an extension. And I would call any extension would be what I would consider the second contract. I don't know if the Shane Beamer hire in the future of South Carolina football comes with the kind of aesthetics that are going to have uh, the eye-popping offensive firepower of what we saw, what we believe Tennessee will be. I also don't think that the the quarterback and the roster talent is there for South Carolina. And if South Carolina and Tennessee, both with year one coaches, um, are going to be constantly measured against each other, I think that I'm buying Tennessee's stock ahead of South Carolina. I, I'm i not doing this as the uh, to jump on the other side of the market because I know Shane Beamer's the nicest guy. You know, hear from, from everybody. He's got friends everywhere. As Barton Simmons said, uh, the, the hire of Shane Beamer is a life lesson to everybody to just be nice to everyone. Then eventually things can come around for you. But I, I think that for um, South Carolina, while Shane Beamer might be able to ingratiate himself with that community and have a lot of positive response, if, if they just keep turning in three and five seasons or two and six seasons in SEC play, then he might not make it uh, to the end of his first contract. What kind of odds would you need to get to place a bet that both Heupel and Beamer make it through their first contracts? I would need to get uh, plus 225 plus 250. I mean both, like a parlay. Like a parlay? Yeah. First and uh, and I, I haven't seen Heupel's contract, but I'm assuming we're, we're using like a four to five year window. Uh, Heupel Heupel's got a six year deal, and they both got to make it through. Yeah, yeah. you got to go plus three hundred. I'll give you plus three hundred right now. Okay. All right, deal for for, for, for charity. Uh, are we allowed to bet on this podcast? Like, like can we have host, host first host bets? I don't know. We we can check that out with. Uh, All right, let's say on the podcast that it's for charity. Okay. 
right? All right. And if it, and or for if Skittles, we'll more, call it, we'll call them Skittles, and we'll yeah, yeah, some, some Skittles here. <laughs> yeah, some Skittles, and uh, and the idea that both Beamer and Hypel make it through the end of their first contract plus three hundred. Yeah, so okay, make make a tracking doc on this. I feel like we 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 should we should track this kind of stuff on the show. Okay, maybe like during a slow day in the off season, we should we should review it. Like here's here's all of the side bets. Well, I'll I'll tell you exactly how this ends because it ends the same way they do with locks or anything else. I'm going to make a bunch of picks for entertainment purposes because it feels good at the time. I'm not actually going to keep track of it. And when the bill comes due, I'm going to be like, ah, crap. Well. This is uh, this is what I did. This is the bet I made. So yeah, nice. plus three hundred. Let's go. What do I, what's your confidence in uh, in Beamer? I'd probably need like twenty to one, to, 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 like to think that they would both go. I mean, I I, I didn't think the Beamer hire was awesome. Um, on back on the on the old you know R. P. Barton and Bud show, uh, we were using kind of a three tiered system to evaluate coaches because like the letter grade thing, I just felt like. I don't have enough information to be, is it an A or is it a B? You know what I mean? We, we went with like home run. I get it. And I don't get it, you know, which Jim Harbaugh would have been a home run at Michigan. So even the home runs don't necessarily hit, but I, I think we went with, uh, I don't get it for, for Beamer. Beamer, which was one of the few uh, that, that really kind of received that, that low bar there. He could be good. Who knows? It's possible. It's also difficult in my opinion to separate coach from job at times. Right? Like, is it South Carolina like the one contract spot? Yeah. The best thing I, I said this about South Carolina, fans got real mad. The best thing about South Carolina is the paycheck. That's Period. what I like. I, you're going to get rich and you're going to get fired and you're not going to win a damn thing. I said I would rather be somebody said, Would you rather be a Tennessee football or Tennessee basketball coach? I said Tennessee football coach because it'll make more money. And if I save every penny and go to the uh, the food table for all my meals, then I'm, I'll be set after I get fired for, for after four years. You can be Rich Brooks with one contract in Tennessee. I mean, I know you know he's Kentucky, but like just out there tweeting pictures of fishing and whatnot, just just hanging out, have, having a grand old time, being retired. Hey, could that's not a bad way to live. Or you could just be DK and go quail hunting, <laughs> like without being retired. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Ja Twenty Two. Uh, new to the show this year, but I've truly enjoyed it. Glad you have given Bud a home after his comrade left him high and dry. So I got a question for Bud as a high school coach in California. How can I best help my kids get recruited? The shutdowns have not allowed for any high school football to be played this year. I feel awful for my kids and I want to help put them in a position to get some money for their college football careers. So uh, a couple things here, uh, just things that we have seen from other coaches in California. Uh, some advice you can give to your players. I would say, uh, first of all, as a coach, you can help them by by sort of figuring out, assuming that he's coached college or high school football for a while. And if he's not, he should consult with some guys you have. But you know, first of all, figure out what the realistic path is for your player. Is he a power five level player, an upper po- power five level player? Is he a FCS type player, uh, maybe a G5 player, or is he more of a D2 guy? Um, and then help to fill in the gaps that some of these schools have. They haven't seen your player play really since the fall of, of 2019, most likely. So workout videos, videos showing accurate height and weight. So, I mean, literally, like we've seen coaches put up uh, almost like at the gas station when, when, when you walk out and you're just like, okay, um, you know, 
video or photo showing the guy weighing in and getting his hike done. Give us uh, give us time and date and a copy yeah. of today's newspaper and let us we're, know that this is uh, when he was weighing this much and measuring it this height. Right. Like workout videos that show a variety of skills. Um, if you can somehow get him into some of those uh, – unofficial leagues going on in California right now. I know as a high school coach, you may not be able to, uh, to officially get involved with that. But if you happen to know anybody involved in those, maybe get them, get, get your guys out there to get some playing time in that. We, we know colleges are kind of looking at that, even if I don't know if they're supposed to be. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that that's, that's occurring and, and will continue to, uh, to occur. I, so that, that's the thing, like, like make sure you get their information out there uh, and make sure you're getting it to the right people. I had a, a, a guy the other day who was tweeting out some, some of his players and, and he was tagging me and Alabama football. I was like, what? <laughs> this is a 2021 with no offers, mm-hmm. none. Like this, this is not how, like you're not doing that player any service by tagging Alabama who would never take this kid. This kid's like a, maybe an FCS level player. Uh, so precision targeting, make, making sure you're realistic in, in, in your targets and then give the evidence. How much of those coaches are able to, like, do they work with the recruiting services to make sure that there's profiles out there? Or, or do coaching staffs even use profiles? Like, I, I apologize that I'm coming through here, uh, you know, being a dummy and trying to expand on this. But I, I really took this uh, this message to heart because I was like, man, this stinks for uh, a lot of players and it's not just in California it's all over the country but have been really disadvantaged with not even having that opportunity where uh, I'm I'm a recruiter or I'm an assistant coach and I'm showing up to watch a game and then and we hear these stories all the time it's somebody else that pops right they I'm coming to see one player but then I end up noticing these other players and I feel like those opportunities being lost seem to me like they can be some of the most significant for under the radar players who are not getting that, that same opportunity to be recognized and noticed. Yeah. So uh, we, we do hear from, from colleges who will tell us certain things, for instance, uh, Hey, this kid who claimed an offer, we didn't offer him. It, it's, it's mm. fake. Uh, and whether they're looking at the profile or whether they're looking at, at a kid's tweet who said, I, I, I got an offer. Uh, depends, but they, they certainly do check out the website. They also have, there are, you know, private recruiting services that, that a lot of these colleges subscribe to. And uh, I think the best ones are the ones who do not charge the players. Um, I know that a lot of schools for these ones who do charge the players, they have basically email filters set up to where they send, they, they send a thing right to the trash because they just get spammed like crazy by these services that charge players. That's not all of them. I'm, I'm sure some of them try to do a good job, but um, yeah, that that's the profiles thing is definitely something that that's, that's real. Yeah. Uh, shout out to, uh, to Chip Kelly. Once again, that's like the second time we've mentioned the, uh, the recruiting services scandal at Oregon here in the last like two weeks. Love that story. Uh, all right. Coming up on the other side, we want to look at the expectations for the Miami hurricanes in 2021. Will the Oklahoma quarterback position be as set as it appears for those offseason darling Sooners and much, much more next? From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! 
The biggest sporting spectacle of the year is nearly upon us. We know everyone loves making their picks, no matter if you're a diehard fan or just tuning in for the big game. So we think you'll also love this opportunity. Enter the CBS Sports Football Props game for your chance to win the $1 million jackpot. That's right, $1 million if you can correctly answer all of the questions and a guaranteed $50,000 to the winner. And you can win all that money without risking anything. Football props is free to play. Just visit cbsports.com slash props or download the CBS Sports app to enter. Once again, that is cbsports.com slash props or download the CBS Sports app to enter. This next question comes from Gavin. 2020 was my first season listening to the pod, and I greatly appreciate the amount of content Cover 3 puts out. From picks and locks to immediate recaps and breaking news, these guys are always coming out with new episodes. Greatly appreciated, especially as other CFB podcasts have dropped out. Off-season mailbag question. Is there a good financial indicator of current slash future success for a football program? For example, do elite programs spend the most money, or do they make generate the most revenue or do they just use their money the most efficiently? Hmm. Um, this is an interesting question. And I, I think just at the top, we need to acknowledge that. Uh, For these the primary- nonprofit entities, boy, yeah. we got to spend enough to be able to show that we're not making a ton of profit. Right. Exactly. Uh, their main goal financially is to show no profit so they can avoid paying the players, right? I mean, Correct. That, that, that's, that's how you get coaches, mediocre SEC coaches getting $5 million a year. Um, I have an issue every year when a lot of this financial data is released because they, when you have the commingling of the public and then kind of the, like the semi-public booster organizations with, with, with the universities, and then you have some schools which are private, and then they all have different accounting practices and, and ways that classify certain t- you know, types of revenue and spending that I think you can kind of get a general sense, but even people I know who are really smart and look into this, um, like, you know, my buddy, Matt Brown, who, who I used to work with, he extra runs the points. extra points newsletter. Yeah. I think even he struggles with it, right? It's like, you know, cause there's so many different ways things are categorized and, and, and hidden, um, this is a t- really tough question to answer. What, what what do you think on this? I think that uh, the revenue and like the football specific revenue shows uh, many of the familiar faces that do not indicate success, but go hand in hand in- with success uh, because like the department of education is uh, as required by the equity and athletics disclosure act. You're able to sor- sort some sports specific data from every school in the country and so this is from two years ago, the fiscal year of 2018, uh, July, 20, July 1, 2018 through June 30th, 2019. Top five are among Power Five, uh, Texas, Georgia, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State. So like very like familiar brands, things that uh, should come as, as, you know, not a huge surprise. You could say that perhaps Michigan being up there at number three, feels like they might've fallen short of the expectations. If you were to say like third best program, cause they, you know, by no on field measure, they've been the third best program recently, Texas. You could also say that too, but the big, 
um, you go a little bit further down to where I start to look at the, the reasons why they don't indicate necessarily success. And that would be Nebraska at number 10. Because from the summer of 2018 to the summer of 2019, for Nebraska to be uh, the 10th highest grossing college football program, that is not at all represented on the field. Uh, Tennessee down there at number 12. So I, I say that it is not indicative of, um, of necessarily being on-field success, at least by the numbers that we can get. I, I, Chip, I, I think that's that's pretty fair. I mean, obviously, you want to have more money than not. Um, that, that's that's a good question. I, I, I want to think on that more. So among the group of five, this is a, another interesting way to break it out. Number one's UCF. Okay. Number two is Colorado State. I, I don't think that Colorado State, you know, if it's able to, uh, you know, they've got that, uh, they've got the new Belgium deal, right? Because they're right there in Fort Collins. They've got like the, the fat tire party deck or whatever they got going on. They just put, you know, put, put in a new stadium. Colorado state seems to have money, but I don't look at Colorado state necessarily as one of the most powerful group of five schools, SMU, Boise state, Houston. Those are all, I would say top tier group of five programs. And so those make sense. And so it's uh, for me, at least using knowing that the, uh, the data is a little bit tricky to break down. It's almost like I get uh, more, thrown off by the programs who don't make sense than the ones who do. And that's what makes me think it is not a direct correlation from your financials to how strong of a program you are. That, that makes a lot of sense. All right. uh, what do we got next year? Okay. Question from Kyle. What do you think is going to happen in 2021 with Miami and the recruits, the people the with Miami the recruits and the people that are coming back and with King's ACL tear. So expectations for the Hurricanes in 2021. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, they open the year with a uh, 17 and a half point spread and a 24 point loss to Alabama. Yeah. So uh, pulling up a couple things here, looking for the Miami schedule and Miami depth chart and Miami, uh, what they did this year. So, uh, this year, eight and three finish. SP Plus had him as a uh, as a, a the number twenty team in the country. Really, we're, we're pretty competitive in most games, with the exception of, of two, um, the, the Clemson and, and North Carolina blowouts. And they return a, a pretty decent bit. Um, I think the Dear King injury is uh, is a major negative for their prospects in uh, in in twenty twenty one, mainly because. The one area that this team needed to get much better in was the consistency of the pass game, right? If, if you look at some of their stuff, passing success rate, 57th in the country. They're, they were much more explosive than they were, you know, efficient through the air. Um, they also didn't run the ball very well on, on a down-to-down basis. They, they really survived uh, almost plays. exclusively on, yeah, on, on splash plays, which, look, splash plays are great. Can you dial them up when you need them? At times, Miami could. At times, they couldn't. But if, if King is rehabbing this summer and not able to work as much, you know, seven on seven and, and Pascal and stuff, which we'll see how much he can do. Uh, I, I assume he'll be out for spring at the very least, given the, the nature of his injury and, and when it occurred. Um, some things are going to fall on on other guys for them. I, I do think getting Jared Williams back at, at offensive tackle is is pretty nice for the Canes. Um, they return basically everybody at receiver. But man, that, that receiver, no, yeah, that receiver position really let me down. And they're getting Charleston Rambo uh, from Oklahoma transfer, right? 
Yep. Um, I think that that you know whether it's uh, you know Mark Pope. Um, I just I feel like there's a a lot of players who. I've been looking at like maybe they were like four star guys, like they, you know, guys that who committed to Miami on national signing day. And you're like, Oh yeah, you know, that's pretty, pretty good addition. But I, I just, I feel like it hasn't popped. And if Brevin Jordan wasn't open, you know, it was like Brevin Jordan was the first look. Then you would try something on the perimeter. And if the play broke down, he'd look for Brevin Jordan again and, and Brevin Jordan's gone. I feel like that wide receiver room has always had an expectation that has been higher than the performance. And I don't know if that's poorly reflecting on the coaching staff or on the players themselves? Like, was this an evaluation issue? Is this a coaching issue within the development? Because you're right that the, the Rhett Lashley offense, as we saw it, when it worked, it was nothing, 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 boom, 40 yards, like nothing. And playing with tempo and having a good uh, dynamic playmaker like King ends up making that work. But I, I don't think that as we're talking about the wide receiver position in the Alabama mold and being able to overwhelm opponents, the Ohio State mold as well, being able to overwhelm opponents with your weapons on the perimeter where they just cannot guard everyone, Miami does not seem to have that. And that to me is more concerning than uh, even necessarily being able to run the ball consistently or like an offensive line that it seems like we've been talking about has underperformed for a decade at Miami. I, I completely agree with that. Um, now, defensively, they're, they're going to be interesting. They, they lose you know, some big-time players there at defensive end. I, I think they'll take a, a pretty significant step back at the end, even though they were able to get DeAndre Johnson, a, a transfer from Tennessee, who, who may be able to stop the bleeding a little bit. Now, on the interior, they they could be better, right? They, they Nesta Silvera decided to come back mm-hmm. for his senior year. Um, they also have John Ford, who's coming back. For his senior year, they had they had uh, what's his name um, Harrison Hunt step up a little bit this year as a freshman. They bring in Leonard Taylor, who I think will see playing time early on, especially in pass rushing situations. He, he was a five star for us on twenty four seven sports dot com. Uh, you know, linebacker, I honestly I kind of thought that they were a, a little bit uh, underwhelming this year at linebacker, and we'll see how they do with. Uh, with, with, with some of these guys, I know a lot of their fans and, and their message board doesn't think their 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 linebackers are, are going to be that good. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Boy, and they the, were I, spoiled I, at linebacker when they yeah. had like, uh, was it Quarterman? Um, was it McCord? I mean, there were, there were three players who were basically all three to four year starters, right? Right. Yeah. And, and those guys uh, just, they, they're not there anymore. Yeah. Um, safety could be pretty nice if, if, if Bubba Bolden and, and, and Gervin Hall continue to progress. They do have some backups. You know, Avante Williams was a very, very highly rated recruit. Um, he had to sit out last season, so I, I don't really know what the circumstance was of that. And uh, then Tyreek Stevenson and Al Blades at corner. They, they, they get Tyreek from Georgia. This should be a pretty good team. I, I think this team has a nice chance to, to play uh, again at a top 20 level. And if, if they catch some breaks, maybe could, could be higher than that in the polls if, if they don't. They could also be lower than that in the polls, but I, I would note here uh, the the schedule start they have is is not not super easy, right? Like they play Alabama, mm-hmm. that they're going to lose that game. They physically, I, I don't think they match up. Very few teams do, and especially because you usually get Bama's attention in in that week one game. They don't usually sleepwalk that thing, so you're not going to just catch them off guard and, and, and pull the upsets. You're going to lose that one. Then they get App State and Michigan. 
or excuse me, uh, Michigan State. They're favored in both those games, I, I think, no doubt. But are they favored by a ton? Probably not, right? I do think they're, that, they're not, like, I thought that the App State, favorites. when they went to Boone, that was a better App State team than the App State team that I'm expecting to see this fall. And I believe that there was even a moment in that game where you're just, oh, okay, well, like there, there's a speed difference. You know, there, there was, it was one of the times where Miami, um, Miami was just able to flex because they were a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, maybe even not bigger, but it's just, there were a couple of plays where you could tell that there was a major difference that was not going to be able to overcome by execution and not going to be able to be overcome by um, scheme. And I, I wonder if even with some of the frustrations that Miami fans have throughout the course of an ACC schedule, if that can just be a difference maker against App State there at the beginning of the season. That, that's probably fair. Uh, and I agree with your point that Miami really did not have a counterpunch, right? They, they, they kind of had one punch. They threw it well. If you, if, if you could block it, they really didn't have much else. Yeah. All right. Uh, this next question comes from, ooh, I wonder if this is a, a chef. The name is Walk and Roll, W-O-K, Walk and Roll. Somebody got that stir fry going. Uh, I know Rattler, Spencer Rattler, is getting all the hype for the Heisman, and OU is getting hype for champ- a championship run, but Rattler showed some concerning play this year. He just didn't seem to have the experience. He has the talent, but doesn't make the right call. It's a world of difference between him and OU's last three quarterbacks. None of them got benched against Texas. Uh, T-Law seemed to show you don't have to be a starter forever, but you still have to be a stud. At what point in this coming season does OU say enough and give Caleb Williams a chance? Man, slow day for questions. I, 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 first of all, I really appreciate him leaving us, leaving us a review and, and hopefully five stars with that question. Um, Spencer Rattler was a good player this year. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I wanted it to include it because I, I, I think highly of Spencer Rattler. I thought he played so much better at the end of the season than he did at the beginning of the season. And shocker, he's a first-year starter. Yeah, so uh, taking a look at this, 68%, 28-7 touchdown interception ratio, 82% catchable pass rate, pretty nice. Sack percentage, 6.5. Given that the pass rushers in the Big 12 aren't great, I, I could totally see uh, that needing to come down a little bit. Fumbled a couple times. Overall, pretty nice season for for a, a a guy who was in his first year starting. Can we also talk about the, the wide Sooners. receiver position for the Sooners, which is good and getting better, be a lot better. But he is um, a lot of those freshmen. It felt like didn't even really start to come on till later in the season, and they didn't have a running game to be able to uh, help him get in there until Ramondre Stevenson got back into the lineup and everything started to click. I, I thought that there was. Um, a, less of a solidified, proven talent all around Rattler as well at the beginning of the season when we saw him, yes, holding on to the ball too long. We saw him uh, turning it over. Like those, those things seemed to get ironed out as he got more comfortable and also as that uh, young, still developing offense really started to come into form. I completely agree. I mean, you, you were you, you threw twenty three balls to Drake Stoops. <laughs> I, I I think that says it all about the 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 state of their receiver position at times this year. 
he's not he's not a player that should be getting 23 targets on, on Oklahoma. Um, personally, I mean, I, I'm not trying to hate on the kid, but yeah, the, their their receiver position is going to be much better this year to the point where Charleston Rambo, who dropped a ton of passes this year, I mean, 55% uh, catch rate was was not great there. Um, I'm I'm uh I'm actually fairly bullish on Oklahoma, but obviously not the uh, not, not as bullish as, as some folks uh, seem to be. I, I if you want to talk Caleb Williams real fast, sure. Dynamic quarterback. I think he's he's a really really good player. I do not think he is at this point. I, I do not think he is an advanced as, as advanced a passer at to the same point in their careers as Spencer Rattler was. I do not think he's somebody who's ready to come in and play day one. I think he has a very high ceiling, but um, no, I, I would have serious doubts. If if Caleb Williams was a starter for Oklahoma, I would pick Iowa State to win the Big 12. Uh, Five-star prospect, consensus top 10 player from D.C. Did he? I guess he didn't play this right. fall, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think he, maybe him having a little learning year and, and seeing if Rattler can uh, can <laughs> keep building on, on a pretty nice year. Is uh, is the proper proper way to go there, in my opinion. Next question from Bama alum nineteen mailbag question here. Hi guys, I wanted to start by saying how much my husband and I enjoy the pod. He was hesitant to listen at first due to us being Bama alumni and Danny's past transgressions against the tide. However, we gave it a go and are happy to report it's our favorite sports podcast. Also, Danny is a great addition. Love his takes. My question is about Georgia Tech. My husband's entire family are alumni, and every time we get together, they commiserate about the current state of their program. It's my understanding that the program has a legendary history full of wins, but they say the issue now is that due to the high requirements to get into school, they can't recruit top talent like Bama or Georgia. I know one of you played at Harvard. (laughs) Ah, Barton played at Yale. No, not Harvard, but still. I understand. Uh, so do you think, do you think elite academics affects recruiting in a negative way? Do you think Jeff Collins is on the right track and is there hope for Georgia tech love roll tide? So uh, I drew a Venn diagram here for those of you watching on YouTube. Okay. Can you read that? It says, uh, good players and good. What's the other one? Students. Stu- good players and good students. Yes. Right. So the thing is. It's a Venn diagram, which means there's very little crossover between the, the two, the way he drew it. Yeah. Those two skills are not are not related to one another. So you're trying to find people who are very good in two things as opposed to people who are very good in one thing. And it's just math, right? Like how many people are you know, th- this big? this fast and also this smart, like you're adding another uh, superlative on their kind of genetics and, 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 you know, development basket. It's just hard to find. You know, I, I think, I think that that's really the the major reason why it's not, that's not to say recruits are dumb, but if I'm trying to win football games, I don't want academics to be something that, that holds me back. You know, that's, that's why if you're at some places, you got to be really creative with, with what you run. Well, what would the, all right, as off the top of my head, um, Notre Dame, Stanford, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, like that's the, that's the Western Northwestern, like those, you've got to have, uh, you've got to have a plan. I understand that you need to be creative, uh, 
I mean, what what is the hope? What is the model? Like, is it the Dave Clawson? We're going to redshirt everyone, and you know, we want you to come spend a year in our program. Where we're going to try to really focus on player development, so that by the time you do see the field, you are physically uh, more prepared and also the, at the top of your game from a, a skill perspective. You know, is it the? I mean, I I don't even know what Stanford's identity is right now, but clearly they went for. Uh, a certain type of we're going to build from the trenches out. Like it, what's the, like what, what is the path? And I guess even for the question, like, do you think that Collins who has had some win Jameer Gibbs, you know, that's a, that's a really good player. That's somebody who's able to come in and have an instant impact. Uh, he has been recruiting at a top 30 level ever since he got hired. Because is that a path? Is that something that's sustainable? Is it a path? Yes. Is it a path to what? To getting back to winning a national title? No. I mean, like Georgia Tech's not going to win a national title. No, it, it's not going to happen. Um, they're they're just not realistically able to get that level of athlete and enough of them. I think Notre Dame. Everybody knows this. This kind of goes back to Lou Holtz thing. Each coach there kind of manages to finagle a certain number of uh, academic exemptions or whatever the term you want to use for it is. Uh, but then they still have to make sure they keep those kids eligible once they get into school. So you can't you can't take a kid who can't read. At Notre Dame, right? At some other schools, I think you probably can, as long as you're willing to just tutor the absolute heck out of them and, and maybe do some underhanded stuff. Uh, but yeah, like that, it, it's just a, a supply and demand thing. The other thing is that it's not like those kids who have really good academics and really good talent don't want to go play for Bama oh. or Ohio State. Like they get some guys who are really good students as well. So that further complicates matters. You, you're, hey, you're smart and good at football. Come, come, come to the actual good academic school or the better academic school. I probably shouldn't not. I don't want to imply Bama's not a good academic school. That's that's where I got my JD from. Um, but so I guess this kind of is a Bama podcast now in some ways. Uh, so like your pitch of hey, come to the great academic place. You can still play football is fairly easily countered by come to the great football place. Your academics are what you make of it, right? And with your academic capability, you can make you, you can have a great education here. You could probably even get your master's in four years. So, it it is a, a legitimate obstacle to overcome. Mm. Uh, and finally, this one from May. Uh, I will miss Barton forever, but I was so excited to hear Bud on the pod. He has been a favorite of mine since his days at PAPN podcast. Ain't played nobody. You can redact that if need be. Or is that uh, like... Do we need to redact a, a podcast that doesn't even exist anymore? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Mace, his name's Mason, actually. My question, would there ever be a situation where a Power 5 conference would kick a school out? Seems like these conferences would only expand instead of actually replacing teams. Thanks, Mason M. So uh, we, we, we thought of a couple examples of this either coming close to happening or um, actually happening. Uh, but we debated whether we even take the questions. We didn't have great, we didn't have enough of them. So I, I DM my buddy, Matt Brown, who I mentioned earlier on the podcast, the extra points newsletter. And the two that I come up with were temple did get kicked out of the big East back. I think it was like, Oh, three Oh four ish sent uh, to the Mac, just really right? bad. Uh, no, they were in the big East at the time. Okay. But where did they land after that? Uh, I think, did they go to the Mac? Because the uh, the Mac had odd uh, football count for a little bit, and I think that it was a uh, 
a strange, um, a strange conference affiliations. They were in the Mac from 07 to 11. They were independent from 05 to 06. They were kicked out of the Big East after the 04 season, back into the Big East for a single 2012 season. Then, of course, it becomes the American Athletic Conference. Now, I will say uh, we did. We have not seen a Power Five team booted in in really ever. I don't think, uh, even though the Big East was kind of technically Power Five back in 04. It was, but that that was at the beginning of them being raided by you know, by the ACC with Miami, Boston College. Vatek and, and the old uh, Southwest later. conference folded and you know, right. there were, there were some like TCU was left out in the wind on that one. But if you stay at a bar till closing time, that's everybody getting kicked out. It's just closing time. <laughs> yes. Like you're, you're, you're not, you're not getting bounced prematurely. Sure. Uh, Baylor, there was some discussion. I think it was informal. I don't know if they ever took this to a vote back during the whole um, sexual assault scandal. There was some discussion about, kicking Baylor out of, of the league. And I don't think that ever actually went anywhere. Uh, Matt had some good examples, though, of some some other teams who have been booted, usually for financial reasons or, or for non-performance. Uh, Idaho and New Mexico got kicked out of the Sun Belt a couple years back, uh, but they were only provisional members at the time, so that, that was easier to get rid of them. Chicago State got kicked out of the Summit League or financial stuff back in 06, he said, which is long, t- you know, 06 and also Summit League. He said, and then really, uh, you would have to go back to the 1950s. It's extremely rare. However, the Big Ten did debate it with Northwestern in the 1980s. Because <laughs> of non-performance? I mean, that's I, not he, because he didn't, of he didn't say, financial I'm not really totally sure. Okay. Uh, he said, now, I said, so basically never happened. He goes, right. It nukes presidential relationships so much. If you're thinking about kicking somebody out for, for rule breaking or whatnot, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head after World War II either that actually happened. So I think competitively for performance reasons, no one wants to kick out a guaranteed win. Right. Yeah. Like there'd be no motivation if I am the university president or the athletic director. uh, I'm not so concerned with our average SP plus ranking that I want to drop this bottom feeder because I would rather have uh, if they are the 125th best team in all of FBS, even though they're in a power five conference, I would rather be able to have that on the schedule as a game that we can build depth. We can play our backups. We can play our young players and we can get ourselves a win. So I, I would say, um, I think that there are, there are limits to that idea, right? Like the big 12 would never kick out Kansas because I, I think it's a founding member and also basketball. Uh, but at the same time, like if they continually are, if they if they were to return for a little while, they were like the worst team in the entire country, including all, all the G5 teams. If you played at that level and the re, and, and it's just clear you're not trying anymore, your facilities are in disrepair, uh, you know, maybe there's some safety issues, the, the, the other, other teams are constantly having to give you money. That's a big one, obviously, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon. Not with the current television deals. Because that's back to our uh, back to our financial discussion, and especially about you got to be able to spend all the money because we're dealing with like nonprofits, and we want to make sure there's not extra money to give to the players. As long as the current television deals are giving equal paychecks to everyone in a conference, there's going to be at least the money available, even if you are horrible, to invest in facilities, to invest in coaches, and to invest in the effort 
of not being embarrassing. Yeah. By the way, I'm just I'm sitting here watching some of this. I think it was a 92 SEC title game. It came up on Twitter. I just love like Steve Spurrier. Like, oh wow, uh, you're, Bama's playing us in zero coverage again on on Jacquez Green. That, that's that's surprising uh, that that would happen. Oh, again. Steve Steve Spurrier, the first million dollar coach. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was that's... the first one to uh, to cross that threshold. And, uh, and that's it, right? There's no, there's no turning back. Once, uh, when Steve Spurrier demands a million, the, uh, the bar is set. We went into seven figures and, uh, I don't remember who made it to 10 first. Was it, is Saban even technically at 10? I think his state salary might be at like eight or something. A couple of these coaches get some kind of funny deals because they don't want, I think part of it is, uh, is marketing and like P like, there's an image issue where it's like, wait, we're paying our coach 10 million. So now they get like 8.8 and then the state finds a way or the boosters end up purchasing their house and renting it back to them for $0. There's all this kind of, you know, stuff. Your Uh, Nike money ends up being uh, like more of a supplemental thing. Like I think that uh, Harbaugh has the life insurance thing, right? Where it's just some insane life insurance policy that that they pay for. So it's, it's kind of just deferred compensation in that way. Um, so isn't there, uh, was it, did someone, uh, used to have like, a uh, the coaching contracts included like oil, uh, like actual, actual like stocks or something like that. Uh, that would be Arizona and Rich Rod. They, they, they had, they had the, uh, the, the oil rights or, or, or was it Nat gas? Natural gas. It was it was some kind of commodities that it within the the process of your coaching deal, you've got these incredible options which could be worth a bunch. Insane. All right. He is Bud Elliott. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back on Monday uh, as we continue to look ahead. Remember Wednesday National Signing Day, twenty four seven sports for all your coverage. Wednesday night. We'll be doing a signing day instant reaction show. So a lot of stuff going on here. Make sure you're subscribed on the Cover 3 podcast wherever you get your podcast. We are on Spotify as well. But thank you very much. See you, buddy.